Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about the blind spots between us, how to overcome unconscious bias. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the CEO and founder of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world with leaders who want to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future in light of significant disruptions. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted today on our show is Dr. Gleb Siporsky. Gleb is an internationally renowned thought leader known as the disaster avoidance expert. He's on a mission to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive bias, which devastate bottom lines and bring down high-flying careers. Gleb serves as the CEO of a boutique consulting, coaching, and training firm, Disaster Avoidance Experts. Gleb's also the best-selling author of Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, and his new book, The Blind Spot Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Bias and Build Better Relationships. So we all want positive, productive, and genuine relationships, whether they are with our family, friends, peers, coworkers, or romantic partners. And yet time and again, we all seem to make the same thinking errors that threaten and sabotage these relationships. These errors are called cognitive bias, and they happen when our brain attempts to simplify information by making assumptions, which we all do. Today, Gleb joins me in discussing his book, The Blind Spot Between Us, and the skills to help us de-bias or stop, pause, and objectively observe situations before jumping to conclusions about others' motives and then help us take uh, more effective action. So, Gleb, thank you for joining us and sharing information about your book. What do you want to tell our listeners before we jump in? Well, thank you so much, Maureen, for inviting me. It's great to be on your show again. Really appreciate you having me back. Well, uh, what I'd want to tell listeners is that these techniques The question I get asked most often is, are these techniques really applicable in all of these areas in professional life and personal life toward friends, family, civic life, social activities, politics? And I can tell you that they definitely are because we're human beings. And this is all just about being human. We use our brains in all of these areas, or sometimes we don't use our brains very well, uh, most of the time, actually. And so we, what we want to do is make sure that we apply these techniques to all of our life areas, not simply the, our professional lives, where people typically think about how to manage their relationships, but in all of our life areas. Great. So let's start with just defining what is cognitive bias. How did your background and experience lead you to your international, and, and sorry, how did your background and experiences lead you to your intentional approach to relationships? Really, it all began my childhood. And that's something that we're constantly told as kids, you know, go with our heart, trust our guts, follow our intuitions, not relationships and really all of our decision making, right? That's what our parents tell us. And my parents, they that's what they believe. They fully believe this advice. Unfortunately, they, for them, their gut often disagreed with each other. So for example, my mom liked to buy nice clothing. So she'd go out, she'd buy a $100 sweater. And my dad, to be honest, was kind of a cheapskate. So when she came home, he'd yell at her that, you know, no sweater should cost over $20. And then they'd go at it. They'd yell at each other, bring up past hurt, past pains, past issues. And so These fights, of course, really impacted me as a kid. That was very unpleasant to see my parents fighting. 
Um, but the worst fight by far was had to do with a financial decision by my dad. He was a real estate agent, had a variable income since he worked based on commissions. And there was a six-month period, or six months or so, where he got really lucky. He made a lot of money, but he hid the money from my mom. Told her he made very little money, probably he didn't want her to spend it on sweaters. So he used that money to buy a small apartment and leased it out to some folks. And in a couple of years, she found out about it. And the result was a big, huge blowout fight. You know, she really felt she couldn't trust him again. She kicked him out of the house, actually. And he had to live in that apartment that he bought for a few <laughs> months until they eventually reconciled. But that broken trust, it was never fully repaired. And you know, in that period, I naturally I lived with my mom. I saw my dad pretty rarely. It was an especially tough time for me and showed me that the way my parents made relationships decisions didn't work well. So I decided to research this area, figure out what's actually going on. And I talked to other people and I saw their relationships because at that time as a teenager, I was really getting into relationships. I saw that none of them really knew how to do relationships better than my parents. There wasn't quality education on how to make good relationship decisions. So I researched it. I looked at the research on how our brain causes us to make good decisions. I got a PhD in the history of behavioral science looking at relationships, looking at how we make decisions and how our brain goes awry in the way that we make our decisions. And then eventually I studied and taught for seven years a professor at Ohio State University's Decision Sciences Collaborative. So that's where my expertise comes from, cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics. And that's where I do my consulting and coaching for, for leaders and how to influence and manage their relationships effectively, which is a practice called social intelligence. And the errors that we tend to make, as you rightly pointed out, Maureen, are called cognitive biases in the cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics. And that's what I now understand my parents are falling into. And actually, I fall into them myself as a kid, and still it's very hard for me to address them. It's just so easy to fall into these cognitive biases. So as we talk, since this show is mainly focused on leadership, well, mm-hmm. as leaders, we are also human beings with families and and a broad range of relationships. Let's come back to how would you define cognitive bias and how does it impact our professional decisions? Cognitive biases are these mental blind spots that come from how our brain is wired. We know there are over 100 cognitive biases. You can take a look at the list of cognitive biases on Wikipedia, and many and many of them are relevant, very relevant to leadership. Not all of them, but the ones that are relevant to leadership in relationship situations affect to specifically, and I mean, what is leadership, right? Leadership is being able to influence other people effectively to pursue your goals, to pursue your leadership goals. Influencing other people is all about relationships. You need to have good relationships with others and understand them well. And you need to not make mistakes in understanding them and relating to them. And leaders make mistakes all the time. I see it all the time and it's tragic. It's really tragic. And we can talk about that. But basically, we need to understand where these mistakes come from. These cognitive biases, these mental errors, they're not just simply out there. You know, our brain didn't wake up someday and said, hey, I'd like to screw you. <laughs> That's not what happened. Our, they are adaptive. These intuitions, these instincts, what we feel comfortable with, our gut reactions, they are actually evolved, but not for the modern world. They're evolved for the ancient savanna environment. That's when we relied on our reflexes to survive. We had to really overreact, for example, to the presence of a perceived threat in order to make it work. It was more helpful to jump at 100 shadows than to fail to jump at, say, one saber-toothed tiger. So that's where we get the fight-or-flight response. We still react with a fight-or-flight response whenever we hear someone telling us, giving us some constructive critical feedback, right? Let's think about a leadership situation where you're getting into a constructive critical feedback. Perhaps if you're the top leader in the company, you're getting constructive critical feedback from a major client. Or if you are not the top leader of the company, if there's a, someone above you, you're getting constructive critical feedback from this top leader. Now, what's the intuitive response? The intuitive response, if you're more of the flight person, is to ignore that information, You know, kind of let it pass by you, not react to it, kind of shut down and ignore it, not actually deal with it. If you, let's say, if you get a leader, uh, an email from the, from the leader of, leader of your company or important client, 
it's tempting to just leave it there, not touch it, not engage with it. You mean maybe it's marked as unread and eventually slips down into your inbox because it's very uncomfortable to deal with it. You get this perception of yuck, unpleasant discomfort whenever you think about even opening it. So that's the flight response, fleeing from the information. The fight response is the opposite, and that's kind of more of my response, to, uh, to be honest. The fight response is when you get that email, you want to immediately write back and say, what are you talking about? You're wrong. I'm right. You're a jerk. I'm great. <laughs> that's the fight response. Now, neither of those, of course, is the right response. The right response is to understand that if you're getting that constructive critical feedback, then probably a lot of other people are thinking it and just not giving you that feedback. So you want to see what in your systems and processes of doing things led to this constructive critical feedback and then address the situation right back to the major client and say, hey, I realize what's happening. Here's what happened in our systems and processes that led to the situation. And here are the steps that I'll take to fix it and kind of smooth ruffled feathers. That's what you need to do. And of course, then you need to fix it. That is a very counterintuitive thing to do. It goes very much against your intuitions. But that's what you need to do in order to survive and thrive and have great relationships in the modern leadership situations. That's an example of how our evolutionary reflexes lead us astray and these lead us into cognitive biases. Another one coming from the Savannah environment is the fact that we lived in small tribes of 15 to 150 people. So tribalism was very important for us. If we weren't sufficiently tribal, we'd get kicked out of our tribe and we'd die, or our tribe would fall apart and we'd die too. We're the descendants of those who didn't die, you'll notice. People mm-hmm. had a very strong fight or flight reflex and very strong tribal reflex. So right now, that results in whenever we see someone who is not part of our tribe, and that depends on what, whatever you feel is part of your tribe. Maybe it's someone who doesn't look like you, someone who doesn't have your thought patterns, your feeling patterns, your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, perhaps someone who has a foreign accent, someone like me, right? That's probably something that many listeners thought about when they were first starting to hear about this interview. You know, who is this person? Where does he come from? I come from... Or even even more challenging, they don't think about it consciously, Mm -hmm. but they have a visceral reaction to you. Exactly, exactly. That that visceral reaction, you know, where are you from, is the immediate reaction. Well, I'm from a small country in Eastern Europe called Moldova. When I came here when I was 10 in 1991, when it was liberated from Russian domination. So my parents, of course, came here, which that was a good decision that they make. I can guarantee that. And so I grew up here. I'm a U.S. citizen, you know, born elsewhere, but raised here. And But this foreign accent is still an issue. If you look at the research on this, and absolutely clear research, that there's definite discrimination against people with accents who are not who don't have a mainstream American accent. There's only one accent against which there's no discrimination. That's the British accent, because they still have that cultural imperialism going for them. But for all others, there's definite clear discrimination where people with foreign accents are seen as less trustworthy. And this is just an example of tribalism, because that visceral reaction, which you rightly pointed out, Maureen, is a signal that you're not part of our tribe. You're not, you don't belong. And that not belonging really sets people off. So this is something that causes a great deal of problems in all sorts of business relationships, from promotion and hiring to collaboration, choosing which business partner to deal with, sales, marketing, all of this stuff, internally within a company and externally when you're relating to others. So I think important to point out is that often this cognitive bias is implicit, meaning that I may have a reaction to you that I don't, I am not consciously aware of, but I might find myself because you look like, quote, other, and we are physiologically wired to stay safe, right? So my reaction to your accent, because I don't, I'm not seeing you. I mean, I know you and, and um, you're not scary to me, but if, if I were a person, one of our listeners who's hearing you, they may have a response that just feels subtly nudgy, 
for lack of a better technical term. And it is a physiological reaction to stay safe. And I think this is what's so important for us, especially as we're facing uh, significant challenges in the social justice arena and trying to become more conscious of this reaction to people who are, quote, other, coming from, as you accurately point out, um, when we were living in tribes and someone who was an other might be intending to do us harm, you are, in fact, not intending to do people harm, but the brain hasn't changed. The physiology of the brain hasn't changed, and hence it's really important for us to to have more conscious ways of attending to the physiological reaction. Is that an accurate response? You're absolutely right, Maureen, and this is what people don't realize, that they can't trust their gut reactions. They simply can't. Our gut reactions around other people are not based on the modern world. You know, Tony Robbins and other gurus tell us to be primitive, be primal, be savage, trust your gut, follow your heart. Well, what does it mean to be primal? It means to live in the savannah environment. I would tell people you need to be civilized, not primal. Don't do that. (laughs) Being civilized means being adapted to the modern environment where we live in a very complex, multipolar, multicultural environment. Our organizations are very diverse environments. Being primal in that environment is a very bad idea. You need to be civilized in that environment. You need to make sure to not trust your gut intuitions. Whatever, when you feel comfortable with something, that's a signal that you want to be careful. Your feeling of comfort is an indication that your gut is telling you to do something, but our gut reaction is often going to be wrong in more modern environments. And exactly how you pointed out, Maureen, it's meant to keep us safe in that tribal environment. That's great for the tribal environment, that primal environment. That's not where we live right now. So you can't trust that feeling of the gut that tells you, oh, somebody is, you want to distrust this person. This person is not trustworthy. Or you want to trust this person. This person is trustworthy. You know, there's extensive research, for example, that employment interviews that are free-ranging, not structured, those are a very bad indicator of how somebody will perform. They're completely not correlated with somebody's future performance in the organization because they're about whether you click with someone, whether you have that comfortable feeling with someone. And that depends on two factors, their ability to be in touch with your tribe. Are you a part of their tribe? Are they a part of your tribe? So that connection, the tribal connection is one. And second, their skills at selling themselves. And people develop great skills. There are many people who develop great skills at interviews at the expense of developing great skills at job performance. Because, of course, you can, you know, you have only a certain time to develop certain skills. So people who do great at interviews often do pretty bad at job performance. And if you don't have a structured way that really minimizes your gut intuitions and instead uses logic and reason to evaluate this person, then you'll make really bad hires and promotion decisions. Perfect. Thank you for for giving that example. We're going to go on break now. And for our listeners, as, as we are on break, I encourage you to think about some time where you may have gone with your gut. It seemed like the right reaction. And later on, you found that that, that, the action you took by following your gut may not have served you as well as you had wished. We will be right back with Maureen Metcalf and Gleb. I'm going to get this right. Saporsky. And we're talking about the blind spots between us, how to overcome unconscious bias. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead 
identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we are talking to Gleb Saporsky about the blind spots between us, how to overcome unconscious cognitive bias. So um, in segment two, we're going to talk about cognitive bias outcomes. Gleb, you share a powerful story in your book about mental blind spots that, uh, that cause many conflicts called the illusion of transparency. Can you describe this bias and share the story? Happy to. So this was about two casual acquaintances of mine who went on a date together, George and Mary. That's the story. And the illusion of transparency has to do with how we perceive our messages to be incredibly highly effective and completely gotten and received by other people. So here's what's going on. So George... And Mary went out on a date. And George thought it was a great date. You know, Mary was so understanding, so interested in him. What a wonderful listener. And he told her oral about himself. He felt that Mary truly got him, unlike so many other women he dated. She truly cared. And then as they parted for the night, they agreed to schedule another date soon, naturally. The next day, George texted Mary to arrange their next date, but Mary didn't text back. George waited for a day, then sent Mary a Facebook message. And George noticed that Mary saw the message, but she didn't reply. He sent her an email in a couple of days, but Mary maintained radio silence. You know, eventually, he gave up trying to contact her. What a disappointment, George thought. Just like all those other women. I can't believe I was so wrong about her. Well, why didn't Mary write back? Why didn't she respond? She had a different experience than George on that day. Mary was a polite and shy introvert. And she felt really overwhelmed from the start of the date with George being so extroverted, so energetic, as she listened to George talk about his parents' job and friends without asking her anything about herself. She thought, why would I date someone who overwhelms me like that? She politely listened to George, didn't want to hurt his feelings, and she was very conflict avoidant. And she told George she'd go out with him again, but she had absolutely no intention of doing so. So I learned about these very different experiences because I knew both the most casual acquaintances. And when George started complaining to people around him, including me, about what happened with Mary, I decided to what to just investigate the situation, get Mary's perspective. So Mary told me that she kept sending nonverbal signals during the meeting about her lack of interest, but George didn't respond to the signals. Mary perceived him as just completely ignoring the signals and behaving as as a very rude jerk until she could leave. Now, you might see it as problematic for George to avoid, for Mary to not respond to George's texts, messages, Facebooks, but there are so many Marys out there who behave that way. It's a combination of shyness, politeness, conflict avoidance, and there are so many Georges who are extroverted and energetic, and that impedes their ability to read nonverbal signals. 
So that's the illusion of transparency, one of the most common cognitive biases. It, great, it causes us to really overestimate the extent to which others perceive our feelings and thoughts. So we perceive others as getting us 100% and accepting our message 100%. That's just not reality. Right now in the virtual world, with the pandemic, so many meetings, there can be technical glitches. People can mishear each other just because Zoom or Microsoft Teams didn't work out well. Or they can just mishear each other even if they're in person. They can you know, fail to grasp something. They can be distracted. Maybe they're not 100% paying attention to the conversation. Or they're perceiving something for their own filters. You know, there's one of these cognitive biases is called confirmation bias, where we tend to look for information that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. We literally, our brain doesn't hear information that we feel doesn't is not the right information that doesn't confirm our beliefs. For leaders, this is a huge problem, the solution of transparency, because leaders say their message and they feel that the their subordinates and their whether direct reports or the direct reports of their direct reports fully receive the message. That's how it feels to leaders. That's not how reality works. It's really much more difficult for people to get the message, not simply the logic of it, but also the emotional overtones and the next steps based on the message. You know, it's very difficult. You have to check for understanding. You have to reinforce the message many times, but leaders often fail to grasp it. They think one and done. That's just not how it works. Oops, sorry. Um, it's, so it sounds like the antidote is then ensuring that what I think I conveyed, the other person is responding in the way I intended. And, and I know in person, I've seen, I'll say something maybe that I think is funny. And I noticed the look on the other person's face is not one of just hearing a joke. Mm-hmm. And I have to step back and, and um, clarify that what I intended may not be what they heard. It, it it sounds like that is one of the antidotes is just confirm um, how how are you hearing me asking that kind of question or or how does that resonate with you just a basic a question of confirmation. Yes, that so what you want to do one antidote to it is definitely seeing how people respond. Even better is asking them to echo you. So to paraphrase what you said, you know. What do you think I said? I, I want to make sure I'm clear. You all, you always want to make sure that this is about you and not about them. You don't want to put them on the spot and say, I'm suspecting that you didn't hear me 100%. <laughs> is that, you know, you never want to put the people on that spot because that's the fight or fight, the fight or flight response. They'll be, get defensive or aggressive. Don't do that. Ask the, say, I want to make sure I'm being fully clear and that I didn't cause any misunderstandings. Can you please? paraphrase what I said, you know, in your own words. So that's a very easy approach to, as a leader, for you to ask somebody or just as a peer for you to ask somebody to repeat what you're saying. So that's one thing. And then remember, you can be falling into this as well. So when other people say something, you want to make sure to paraphrase what they're saying. And they'll, they'll appreciate that. They'll appreciate you making sure that you heard them correctly because it's a sign of respect toward them. And they'll appreciate it, especially if you didn't fully understand them, if there was a mistake, because that will result in you, in the mistake being corrected. You know, what I say to people often is, this sounded brilliant in my head. I'm (laughs) not sure that what came out of my mouth sounded even reasonable, so I just want to make sure that what I'm saying is coming across. So, so very much owning, of course, when I say something or when I conceptualize it in my head, it doesn't sound ridiculous. <laughs> but I need to own that sometimes the person hearing me hears something that is very different than, than I intend. And I, I just, yeah, I don't, I never say I think you're unable to understand me. But the, but the distance between my brain and my mouth is sometimes too far. <laughs> I, like, uh, I like that phrasing. Uh, so one thing is to check whether the person heard you correctly, whether they got the information that you're intending to convey. And of course, just as important and really to check for is, did they accept the information? 
because they might have heard you completely, but they might disagree 100%. And just having them paraphrase it doesn't get at the mm-hmm. acceptance of it, doesn't get at whether they accepted it, whether they're persuaded, whether they're influenced. And of course, the primal function of leadership or the civilized function of leadership, not the, the central function of leadership is influencing other people. Influencing other people combines the two dynamics. One is understanding and the second is accepting. So the illusion of transparency really gets at the core of leadership or destroys the core of leadership because it's both about understanding what you're conveying and accepting it. And that's what you want to check for. You want to check that the person accepted what you're saying and will actually is it whether will think differently, will behave differently, you know, what's whatever is the point of you conveying the information. You know, I really want to amplify that point right now because someone, I may say something with the intent of being favorable about a topic. So something like, I think understanding cognitive bias and implicit bias is important in addressing social justice. If I think social justice is important and you think it's crap and there's no reason to address it at all, then we may, you may be able to parrot back my words. Yes. Understanding cognitive bias is important for social justice. I think we're changing the world and you think I'm delusional. So I think especially right now on some of the issues that we discuss that are emotionally charged, not only understanding my words or understanding the other person's words, but being clear about some of the foundational assumptions we make about the world that that contribute to the conversation. And yet we often both step into it with our own assumptions and often again, unconscious that of course this person thinks this thing is very important and somebody else thinks this thing is really not. You're exactly right. And that's something we need to really understand and we need to see what other people are feeling and thinking about what we're saying. And I started with feeling in a very deliberate approach. Don't simply want to see what people are thinking about, but what are they feeling? Because when you look at cognitive biases, you look at decision-making, you'll see that feelings, how we feel about things, determine about 80 to 90% of our decisions, about 80 to 90% of our behaviors. We often don't talk about feelings at work. You know, you were, I'm talking about uh, our brain, mental blind spots. You think of, I'd be all about reason and logic. But no, our feelings, our emotions are fundamentally important in determining our decision-making, our behavior. So you really want to understand and be in touch with your feelings, what you feel, what your intuitions are, what your gut reactions are. And again, sometimes they'll lead you in the wrong directions, sometimes they'll lead you in the right directions. But if you're not aware of your feelings, they'll always lead you in the wrong directions because you won't be able to tell when your feelings are leading you in the wrong directions. So that's emotional intelligence, awareness and management of your emotions. So you want to be aware of them and you want to be able to manage them. And then, of course, for influencing others, you want to have social intelligence. Social intelligence is is the next step of emotional intelligence. It's a being aware of other people and their emotions and then being able to influence other people and their emotions and your relationship to them and their relationships to each other. And leaders have to have excellent emotional intelligence, but even more, they need to have excellent, outstanding social intelligence, being able to understand and influence other people's emotions effectively, being able to get them. And and that gets at the acceptance aspect of things, because the acceptance is really not about the simple logic and reason. You know, you might feel that social justice is very important. You might feel that social justice is crap, as Maureen said, either way. But that's fundamentally about feelings. It's not about your thought patterns. So as we go to this break, Gleb's just gotten into uh, a significant piece of information about emotional intelligence. And again, for many people, many leaders, we've been taught to go and deliver results we were not taught, at least I wasn't until much later, 
that understanding my feelings keeps me from making these mistakes. And not that I'm driven by my feelings, but in, in fact, the opposite. When I am aware of them, I am aware when they're giving me useful information and when they're giving me information that will derail me. So as we go to break, I encourage our listeners to think about a time when you responded with feelings and had you stepped back and been aware of what was causing that, you might have made a different decision. We'll be back with Gleb and Maureen talking about cognitive bias. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. We are talking to Gleb Saporsky about blind spots between us, how to uncover unconscious bias. And in this last segment, we're talking about recognizing cognitive bias in ourselves. So Gleb, how can you tell which cognitive biases you are uh, most vulnerable to? Well, it's just like we were talking about before the break, Maureen. You need to be aware of your emotions. You need to be aware of your intuition. So that's a hard thing to do. We're not taught that. It's not something that we're taught in school. It's not something that we're taught in any leadership, typical leadership situations. We're taught to, as you mentioned, rightly deliver results, achieve the bottom line, and so on, not be in touch with our emotions and be able to influence them. But fortunately, the research on this topic shows that you can very, very clearly learn about these cognitive biases and learn to spot situations where our gut reactions are likely to make mistakes and correct these errors. Because cognitive biases are fortunately, 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 systematic and predictable. Illusion of transparency, which we're talking about quite a bit, is just one of these examples. It's systematic and predictable that we will feel we are very effective communicators and that other people 100% get our message and accept the message. So they understand it and they fully internalize it and behave on it. Not how the world works, but that's how it feels. You can learn to watch out for this error. You can learn that, hey, 
even though it might feel that others should 100% get my message, that's not how the world works. And my gut is lying to me in these situations. And therefore, I will take specific steps that we talked about earlier in the show to address these problems just as a part of effective communication. That is an example of how you practice debiasing. Debiasing is a field of science within decision-making, cognitive neuroscience, behavioral economics that looks specifically at the techniques that you use to address cognitive biases. My book, The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships, talks about the most frequently and effectively used debiasing techniques from the very beginning and about how to apply them to each of the 30 cognitive biases, each of the most really dangerous judgment errors for relationships listed in the book. So you want to learn about these dangerous judgment errors. You want to see where they're present in you. And just by reading the book, that'll become very natural for you. There are extensive exercises throughout the book that help you get at which cognitive biases you're most vulnerable to. And then how you specifically deal with each of these cognitive biases using the biasing techniques. For example, I tend to be overly optimistic and risk-blind. So I suffer from what's called the optimism bias in my relationships and other areas. Now, having learned that, I have instituted effective debiasing mechanisms to minimize the likelihood of making very bad relationship decisions that come from this mental blind spot. And you that's an example of where I instituted into my life these techniques, and others can do the same thing. So I had a bit of a sound glitch for a second. What what exactly did you implement in your life to address the optimism bias? So I learned, I'll give a couple of examples. So I learned that one of the things I need to do is be much less optimistic that others will agree with my proposals. So that's the, as a basic thing. You know, I get excited about my ideas and I'm optimistic that others will be excited about them too. And I've learned that others will be much less excited than I am about my ideas, my proposals. And so I have to tamp down my enthusiasm, be much less optimistic that others will agree to it and really not be so disappointed when others don't. So decrease my expectations and decrease my sense that other people will be enthusiastic for things. That's one example. Another example is when I have major decisions, I make sure to run them by somebody who has the opposite bias called the pessimism bias. The pessimism bias is like it sounds. It's people who tend to be risk averse, people who see the world as mostly a hostile place, And they can give me effective feedback on where I'm being way too optimistic about my ideas. So that's for more important decisions, I make sure to get an external perspective. And both of those are techniques informed by the research on debiasing, which is described in much more depth in my book. Great. Thank you. So so let's move to the next question then. Let's say you notice someone else believes something that is clearly false in your view and behaves irrationally due to that bias. So, so if I noticed that you had an optimism bias uh, um, and because of that, you are doing something that I think is irrational, um, how might I respond to you? You don't want to give people facts first, which is what people in professional situations and all other you know, politic discuss, politics discussions, right, or relationship issues always start with facts. That is not the right approach. If there is a clear situation where someone is behaving rationally, where they hold false beliefs, you got to realize that there's an emotional block at play. So emotional blocks at play, you don't deal with them with facts. You want to instead deal with them with emotions first. And there is a five-step technique called EGRIP, the acronym EGRIP. And which stands for emotions, goals, rapport, information, positive reinforcement. First, if someone denies facts, you want to figure out what are their emotions that cause them to deny these facts. For me, it would be the optimism bias. I'm too optimistic and enthusiastic about my ideas, and I feel too confident about something going forward. Or it might be an identity issue. So, for example, there are often CEOs who have a lot of trouble accepting that their company is not doing well in some area because they are running the show and therefore their company should be doing well because they are great and therefore their company is great and everything's great. 
that is a frequent tendency among some CEOs that I've seen, unfortunately, too often, that they tend to not accept that their company has a certain problem in some area. So emotions. Then their goals. You want to look at how are their goals, what are their actual goals, and where are their goals impeded by these irrational beliefs. For me, obviously, you know, my goal is to accomplish a certain activity is impeded by my excessive risk blindness. Or for a CEO, her goal to have the best bottom line is impeded by her inability to accept some bad news. Then rapport. You want to build up, that's the fourth one, so EGR, emotions, goals, rapport. You want to build up rapport with that person. So for that CEO, you'd want to build up rapport around shared goals for the company, having the best bottom line, outcompeting the competition, getting great market share, strong ROI, whatever. So build up rapport, talk about this. Now, in the fourth step, here's where you bring up the facts. That's the I of eGrip, information. So share some information that would challenge whether my view on excessive optimism or the CEO's view on the company doing currently great. Frame that from the perspective of your rapport with this person, where you care about their emotions and you have a shared concerned with their emotions, and you very much care about accomplishing the goals of the company. So put it within the right context. Then at that point, it's much more likely that the person will swift will sway somewhat toward your perspective because you show that you care about them, that you share their goals, you built up before, and now they're able to accept the information. And now the final step of eGrip, emotions, goals, rapport, information, is P, positive reinforcement. You want to give people positive reinforcement for changing their beliefs toward the facts. And that because you don't want to have these conversations very often. So you want to give me positive reinforcement for being less optimistic than I previously was and the CEO positive reinforcement for accepting some bad news about the company's performance. So again, e-group, emotions, goals, rapport, information, positive reinforcement. And so if this is where I see you doing something irrational and if I follow that process you will, I will influence you if I do it well to be less optimistic and more middle of the road, not moving to pessimism, but to be more what I would call rational. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple more minutes before we go to wrap up. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that you think is foundational to their ability to address the cognitive biases? Once you learn about cognitive biases, so let's talk about what you do about them. You want to understand that simply learning about these cognitive biases is not enough. And there's too many people who just you know, listen to a show and they skim from my book and they think they got it. This is great. That's, that's not how the world works. So unfortunately, when you look at the research on cognitive biases, just informing people about cognitive biases doesn't fix their behaviors. You think about when a doctor tells you that, hey, you should eat healthy, you know, you should eat salads. Does that really change your behavior? You know, you know you should eat a salad, right? It's, it's, it's a common knowledge that you should eat a salad and that you should skip the donuts and skip the ice cream. You know, just eat salads and fruit. That's not how your gut tells you to do. Your gut tells you that, you know, hey, let's, let's grab those donuts, you know, let's grab uh, that ice cream. That is what your gut tells you to do because we're wired to be triggered by sugar. And so in the savannah environment, it was very important for us to eat as much sugar as possible when we came across a source of sugar, that we're the descendants of those who were strongly triggered by sugar, by honey, bananas, apples. That's how we survived and thrived and reproduced. In the modern environment, it's a very bad idea to do that. We have an abundance of sugar, way too much sugar for our own good. But we're still triggered by sugar. And we make bad decisions about our eating. You know, nobody's born liking salad, I have to say. That is not something we're born liking. You have to develop a taste for salad. You have to develop a mental habit for salad and for healthy fruits instead of donuts, which is much more preferable to our gut reactions. In the same way, you have to develop mental habits. You have to build up your mental fitness and develop mental habits around defeating these cognitive biases, around debiasing. If you don't develop these mental habits, you'll be just like, you know, the people getting advice to 
eat healthy and then not doing anything, even though they know they should be doing something and just feeling guilty about not doing it. That's not how you should address cognitive biases. You need to build up those healthy mental habits and that's how you'll get ahead and protect your relationships as a leader. Okay, so as we're going to wrap up, leaders need to consider the most common, quote, hidden cognitive biases that blind them to the truth and that lead to misunderstandings that damage relationships and frankly drive poor performance. So learning to stop, pause, and objectively observe situations before jumping to conclusions about others' motives is a much needed key skill. Um, Also, learning to consider the other person's point of view, their underlying assumptions, past experiences, before going to judgment and undermining the relationships is another key skill. Uh, Gleb's book, The Blind Spots Between Us, will help you identify your own blind spots and move beyond them for better relationships and also help you identify what these blind spots are so that when you're working with others that you notice might be demonstrating a blind spot, you're able to, to use processes like eGrip to help them identify the bias so that you can resolve the, the dis- difference that is putting you at risk. So Gleb, can you tell our listeners a little bit more, where would they get information about you, find your books? How would they connect? Happy to. The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships is available at bookstores near you. But if you don't want to go there due to COVID or other reasons, you can certainly go to barnesandnobleonline.com. You can go to amazon.com and all other bookstores online. For physical copies, digital copies, it's published by a great publisher called New Harbinger. So it's available everywhere. For my own information, you should go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com for consulting, coaching, training on these issues on defeating unconscious bias, building better relationships. I do a lot of training and consulting on this topic. And of course, there's a lot of blogs, videos, podcasts about this out there on my website. Now, you want to especially go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for a free eight-video-based module course on making the wisest decisions in your relationships and other areas. Again, that's disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much, Gleb. And for our listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Please leave us comments and like us on Facebook or sorry, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you listen. The comments and liking help us continue to promote the show. Leave me comments and connect with me either on LinkedIn, Maureen Metcalf, or email me at info at innovativeleader.com. We love to hear your feedback, and this is how we select our guests and improve the quality of our show. Your experience is very important to me, and I want to ensure that the work I do is best supporting you as a leader at this point in history. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you download another podcast soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.